Okay, this one is sort of going to be about the small victories of what we can do in the classroom. minoritized. If you don't know what that means, just keep listening. But anyway, uh, in this episode, oh, my name is Dr. J.P. Gerald. Uh, in this episode, I'm going to talk to Kelly Webb Davies, who, this is going to sound meta or something, but I made a video a while ago based on one of my, my chapters, and, you know, a couple people have used it in their classes. And so we're sort of going to talk not about my video, which, whatever, but about, you know, you know, we do have to change these systems, right? Um, and that's just going to take forever. So it doesn't mean don't do other stuff in the classroom, because ultimately, for an individual student, no matter how many times you change a policy, the person right in front of them is what is what is going to affect them the most. So this is about the small victories we can have in the classroom or through our teaching. Um, and I'll talk about some of the small victories I had this summer when I was teaching. So that'll be cool. Anyway, if you're interested in supporting the show on Patreon, there's a link in the show notes. I don't think anybody ever goes there, but it's there. And uh, otherwise, you can check my stuff out on jpbgerald.com. Enjoy the show. Okay, so there's a brief note here. And uh, first of all, I said her name wrong. In Wales... Her name is spelled D-A-V-I-E-S, or like part of her last name, her married last name, and that's actually pronounced Davis, so you're going to hear me say it wrong and hear her correct me. Uh, and second, uh, we end up talking about AI a lot in here, so, you know, I edited the title to say it's not just about small fashion uh, victories, it's also in about Wales. All right. And originally I'm from Australia, and my background is in linguistics, so I was, I've come from a background in linguistics into um, English teaching. Sorry, I'm very hungry. Um, so <laughs> I, I ran six miles this morning, which I do every morning. I'm always hungry. It's breakfast time for you as well. Yeah. So, um, right, that's interesting. So that means you've sort of seen different linguistic milieu, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Between Australia and the UK, and I, I'm assuming you've been to different parts of the UK, that, you know, and didn't just... Yeah, I have. It's particularly up, up here, it's an interesting context because you've got the minority language aspect of Wales and the bilingualism, which isn't even that well-known, I think, within like, England, especially. Right. Or is, if it, is it not well-known, or do they not want to think about it? Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> one or the other. <laughs> All right. So the reason we're talking today is because, um, and people are going to be like, are you doing, talking about your own work again? It's like, relax, people. Is that through a series of events, um, I had recorded... I was potentially going to take part in some sort of conference um, or whatever, but the timing didn't work, so I recorded a video. And I shared it with um, a colleague, and he asked, you know, if he could use it, and I said, sure, that's why I recorded it. And then other people watched it when during his presentation and asked if they could use it, and I said, sure, right? Um, if anything, you know, I want my work to be useful to people directly, uh, and so Kelly used it at one point and, um, you know, you can talk in a moment about, you know, how that went. Uh, but the overarching conversation here is how, you know, 
people sometimes get caught up in both the big picture and the little picture, mm-hmm. right? They, they get focused on one yeah. or they get focused on the other one and they get frustrated because not everything is changing, right? I've always said, like, first of all, my dissertation and a lot of my research is about the middle, like mm-hmm. at the sort of institutional level, but not the entire system, because I feel like, you know, the individual level is useful, but like there's a lot of advice on what to do individually. Um, mm-hmm. And then the systemic thing just takes a long time. Not that we shouldn't do it. But this is not to say that individual things don't matter. Like what happens mm-hmm. in the classroom doesn't matter, right? I know this. I teach sometimes. And the way that you teach or set up your class still matters. Mm-hmm. So um, cause if you can go into sort of the context of, you know, we don't even talk about my video, but I mean, like the context of what was going on and, and sort of the impact that you feel that it had. And then we can talk generally, you know, the conversation will flow from there. Yeah. Uh, so my students, I teach uh, pre-master students. So they're students who have um, come to do a sort of a pre-session. So a couple of terms of English. Uh, and they do content m- modules here as well before they start their master's degrees. Um, and for the most part, they are from uh, they're either South Asian and Nigerian students. Most of mine are at the moment. Um, sometimes there's some Chinese students as well. Um, so they come in and they, you know, they do the English and being master's level as well. They also have to learn some uh, criticality, critical thinking, which is something maybe they don't encounter so much in their educational backgrounds before they get here. And what I like to be doing um, in my classes is um, uh, introducing them to question things that they don't think they can question. And so one of those things is um, standardized English. You know, this is the English they, you know, and especially academic English. They're here to learn it. They have to they have to reach a certain standard before they can progress to start their degrees. Um, And but me from a linguistics background, I kind of like I enjoy teaching academic English, um, but the more and more I teach it, the more frustrated I get with, you know, you have to do it this way and not that way. And I'm constantly thinking, well, why? And so I like to teach my students that and also um, getting them to question uh, whether these standards are good or necessary is also, I think, good for their confidence because a lot of them don't want to speak or don't want to write and they're nervous about it because they think they're doing things wrong. They're getting things incorrect and their English is bad. And that's what the whole video you made was about. You know, your English isn't, isn't bad. It's just the, the standards and the system that you're in, which is so. Uh, we had a discussion class. I had a class I kind of needed to fill, and I thought, oh, good, I've got a chance to use it. So before the class, I asked them some discussion questions. You know, have you ever been discriminated against because of your language? Do you think the standards are fair? Um, do you think standard or formal English is better than other types of English? Because my students, again, from India, from Nigeria, some of them are first language English speakers. It's just Nigerian or Indian English. Um, not the right type of English to start their master's degree, apparently. Um, so I asked them the questions, they discussed them, and then I don't tell them about the video. I kind of just put it on and tell them, you know, you don't have to, you have to take notes, just listen, get what you can out of it. And before I started, I also gave them a poll, um, an online poll to see where they were. Do you think um, uh, standard or formal English is better than other types of English? Yes or no, just very simple. And they can decide what better means in this case as well. Um, and so they watched the video and then afterwards I gave them the same poll again just to see if their um, uh, opinions, their attitude had um, moved at all. And then we discussed the video afterwards as well. Um, and apologies, I look like I'm a ghost. I just, I'm sitting in front of a window. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so, yeah, that's really one of the things, because there's nuances to sort of challenging these standards, right, is that yeah. not 
everyone who's impacted by it is adopting the language new newly, right? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. there are a lot of people in this world who speak different versions of English as a first language. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they are told, whether implicitly or explicitly, that there's something wrong with their version of English. Yeah. Um, and the chapter that she's, refer- well, the video, which was mostly me going through a chapter I wrote, that she's referring to is called Bad at English. If you read my book, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, but basically, I was talking about when I was a teacher, um, like that was my main job. Um, I taught adult learners who were mostly East Asian. It's not super important for the story, but the point is these were people who had degrees upon degrees and the way that things were, they couldn't work because they'd come over on like a spousal visa. So mm-hmm. they would come to class and they all thought their English was so bad, so bad. And what I always say to people is like, if you can tell me your English is bad, your English isn't that bad. Um, but also I, wrote the chapter into a book that was questioning these standards because I didn't really get it at the time. I knew I wanted mm-hmm. to help my students feel better. And yeah. um, I knew I wanted to increase their confidence, as you said, but I went about yeah. it in what I think was ultimately the wrong way. So I wrote the chapter to talk about how actually the standards are the problem. Now mm-hmm. I would do what you did, which is to say, call the standards into question, right? These students in my class did become more confident, but it was because I made them comfortable. But then I didn't really think about the the unfairness of the standards in the world. You know, it's not like I agreed with them. I just didn't even think about it because, again. That's the thing. They know they still have to reach these standards because they exist there in society. They're not, you know, they're not silly. I can't tell them you don't need to do that. They do. They just need to be aware that maybe that's not the, you know, it's the system that's the problem and not them. Right. The the problem is located outside of them. Um, And another thing that I would say is that, I think it works better if we think of standardized or academic or whatever we would like to call it, depending on what context you're in, English as its own skill mm-hmm. or even its own language, right? It's just like technical language when you join a, a profession, right? Mm-hmm. If I'm a lawyer, there's a whole bunch of stuff I'm going to have to learn. And like, you do need to know what these things mean, but we don't pretend that people who don't use that language are not intelligent because you don't understand legalese. Right. We call it legalese, you know, I mean, obviously you're trying to be a lawyer and you can't use it. You're seeing this less. Right. So but um, I think that so the point is they need to do it. But if we think of it as a skill or its own sphere as opposed to a value placed upon a person, I think that's important. Um, yeah, and then the, I used it again, um, in basically exactly the same way, but a new class. And this one was really nice because this is the one that I tweeted about because I, I finished it, turned it off. There's like, there's a 20 minute video, turned it off and immediately one student applauded, which was amazing. And then another one said that was like a revival of hope. And I just about cried. It was so lovely. You know, it's, it's I, don't, I never really know how much, because I'm not actually a classroom teacher most of the time these days, sometimes I don't really know what people think about the work that I do unless they tell me directly, right? Because if yeah. someone reads a book in the corner, how, how do I know, yeah. right? Um, and that's one of the, I don't know if it's a scary thing, but one of the anxiety-making things, especially about something like a book or a video, something that's not mm-hmm. a five-page article. Five-page yeah. article, you can see that pretty fast, not very long. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anything that takes time to consume, you know, you're not going to get feedback for a while. Yeah. 
And um, you all have told me you were using that video, but it was months from when you told me you were going to do it, right? Like yeah. it wasn't it wasn't like the next day. So yeah. like I just I can't sit around thinking about it. I had to go on and do do things I was doing. And so to hear that, which I guess is third hand, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's sort of a a nice thing to hear because the point of all this is like I want these students and also the teachers who are marginalized, but in this case we're talking about students to be cared for because yeah. the way the system is set up, it is, it denigrates them mm-hmm. and it tells them like, because there's something wrong with you, you need to do X, Y, and Z, X, Y, mm-hmm. and Z that usually costs a lot of money somehow. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And yeah. you know, because you're less valuable, you need to pay us this money so we can make you more valuable, but you never be mm-hmm. quite valuable enough because you yeah. there'll always be something wrong with you. And mm-hmm. the cycle continues, right? Even to do it in when people move to this country and they're like stellar students. It's like, I don't know, they have an accent. So they got to come take this class for a bunch of money. Yeah. Um, and that's what I want. That's what I want the work to do. And, and I want to um, find ways to sort of break down the barriers that they face as well. Like my big thing at the moment is we've had all the AI stuff, you know, um, imp- um, impacting the field and everyone suddenly the status quo doesn't like work anymore. And we're like, how are we going to deal with this? How are we going to deal with it? And thinking about it for like six months, my um, um, the way I approached it was, well, what is writing? Because writing is the big EAP thing. You know, they have to do academic writing. It's such a big part of what we do. Oh, they're going to use these tools for writing. And I keep thinking, well, I do. I find them useful. No one really cares. So I'm like, why don't we let the students use them? And kind of the, the academic standard, the language they have to meet is um, uh, unfair and exclusionary anyway. Then that's a barrier. And it's something we could implement like fairly quickly. It's not even like a top down structural thing. And so this is something I'm trying to like convince people to, to, to do because machine translation has been around for a while. Students use it, even if they're not supposed to. Um, Grammarly, that's around. My students all use that. Like, why aren't we putting this in the classroom? This is what writing is now. This is how people write. So why, why are they not allowed to do that in their assessments? But I'm allowed to do that when I write some sort of paper. I find academic English hard to phrase sometimes. And I, you know, used, um, generative AI to rephrase some things for myself. And I was like, wow, that's, you know, removes such a sort of cognitive barrier for myself just getting past that, you know, point and then editing stuff. And I want to teach my students to use it that way, but I kind of can't until they allow it in assessments, basically. I mean, yeah, like if I'm thinking if I was creating a class and I had a whole bunch of freedom, which I know that in some ways you don't have as much freedom with it, but like, um, I, like a doctoral student, I would say, all right, so, you know, I'd tell them to write about something without not without it being assessed, just to, to write naturally, yeah. right? And then I'd say, all right, put that in generative AI and give them these prompts. And yeah. and I'd show them, all right, so what do you see is different here, right? You know, what do you yeah. see is the phrasing that's, that's been done differently here? And, like, because I, I've said this a lot on this podcast, I have hesitated to, I have hesitated. I hesitated originally to get a doctorate because I saw academic writing as impenetrable for me. Yeah, I yeah. can't really write that way. Yeah. I still can't. I just made yeah. it through without it. um but that's just because i mean like i know how to like cite and all that like i mean you know the the basics i understand and i understand it i can interpret it now but what that really means is i kind of skip most of the articles because of the like nonsense yeah yeah right Uh, when i was showing my students the the talk of yours before i did i was like so is formal english better and i'd say why and actually i had them write up on my on the screen and they all share and some would say because it's clearer because it's more understandable and i said do you understand it? Like you're in these classes, like to learn it. Do you understand it well? And they were like, oh, and I'm like, I don't even understand it that well a lot of the time. Yeah. It's not, 
clear. It's no. it's a it's a genre, right? It's performative. I call it performative. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm saying it's, it's, do it, it's, you sound unintelligent because people yeah. make value judgments about it. Well, I'm saying it's it's a genre the same way that like poetry or something is, right? Yeah. Like you know, there's rules to poetry. Obviously, you can yeah. break the rules, but like you could, you know, a stanza or whatever. And academic writing, I'm not saying it's as interesting as poetry, but I mean like, yeah. it's like this is how you write in this fashion. I yeah. just don't think it makes any sense to say this person can't be a, depending on what it is, scholar or whatever it is mm-hmm. people are trying to do without yeah. being good at replicating this. Because I think part of the reason that certain academic institutions are so worried about generative AI is because, like, if, if the only way that certain people know how to write is that, then they're like, yeah. what's the value of me now? Exactly. So I think that's what I find a lot in like the teachers I talk to as well. Like, well, and even students have said it to me. I, I integrate AI into my classes. I'm showing my students all how to use it. And then one of them even said to me one day, ma'am, you won't have a job. <laughs> I went, well, you know, and the reason my job exists is probably for unfair reasons. So I don't, I don't really have a big problem with that. I'll find something else to do. <laughs> but there's also like, there's ways that we, because I, I'm lucky in that the particular program I was in, they wanted us to succeed. They wanted us to know the rules and write, and I did that. But, like, by the time, the third time I was doing a, a mock literature, literature review, I was like, all right, I, I, got, I get it. I get yeah. it, right? Um, and, you know, uh, they did tell me in my first semester, make sure your voice is still in your writing. And I said, are you sure? Because a lot of people say that, and yeah. they don't mean it. And yes. there were some limits to how I could write, but they still allowed me to just sort mm-hmm. of put the pedal to the metal with what I was saying. And mm-hmm. then ultimately, they tell, I think it's a little bit backwards, right? Because in terms of like scholarship and people trying to publish and all that, which I know is not the same as what your students are doing, but for the world that I'm sort of in, mm-hmm. um, they tell you, write everything perfectly formally, mm-hmm. and then you will stand a better chance of getting past the reviewers, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm just like, but, like, I get that if you write stuff and it looks wrong, they'll notice that and reject it. Mm-hmm. But I also think that if you write in this academic way, which is so anodyne and dull, yeah, it's more, it's not that they're going to think you're a good writer. It means mean, they won't even pay attention to the writing. Like, they don't yeah. want to notice the writing. They, they don't want to notice the prose. All they want is, like, what's in the data. So this right. is some of the feedback, the pushback I got against these ideas was that, well, don't we, don't we want students, instead of using digital tools of their language, don't we want them to develop their own voice in their writing? And then I thought, well, they can't use their own voice. They can't use their Nigerian English or their Indian English because it's not allowed. And the reason why generative AI is so good at this is because it's so formulaic and that's what it's fed. So right. we, have, we have literature phrase banks for students, like academic phrase banks. They can go to and get like chunks of phrases. Like this is how you introduce a reference. So... Yeah, and what it's going to do. Any way to do to express academic ideas. So one of the things I did a presentation on this in um, Durham in June, and one of the things I used to illustrate it was I found a article by Vashana Shanti Young, which is expressing academic ideas about um, what language um, students should be being taught and um, standard English, and it's all written in African American English. And I took a paragraph from this and I put it on my slide and I just let the audience read this to be like, you know, it's an academic um, idea. Let's, you know, see how much you can understand. And as I left it up there for a couple of minutes, people were giggling in the audience. And I thought, 
I mean, in retrospect, I probably maybe should have expected that, but it was really surprising to me. I thought it's not it's not meant to be funny, but people were obviously kind of had some discomfort about that. And then, you know, I let them read it and I said, you know, it's I can I can understand that better than I can a lot of academic English. Expressing the idea is perfectly fine. And in addition, I can understand something about the identity of that writer, which I can't if they're just everyone's writing in academic English. Yeah, it's it's. um the, mach- the machines can only replace you if you sound like a machine. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just like... This is uh, one of my hopes. I was thinking to myself, maybe, I think some of the pushback against AI will be like, well, we want things to seem more authentic. And then maybe there'll be more allowance or more, um, you know, people will be more accepting of linguistic diversity because non-standard uh, varieties of languages in English might seem more human. So maybe it'll be more acceptable. People might want that. We can hope. I, I, I mean, I would hope and I don't know how to do this. I, I talk about it, but I don't know if anyone's listening to me, but like the anyone who can do anything about it, I mean. Um yeah. because I think that that's a really important thing. If I was mentoring new doctoral students, for example, regardless of where they were from, you know, mm-hmm. I would say like you know, make sure you are building and developing your voice because not everybody has their voice together when they start their programs, and that's fine. Right? I don't know that I had a solid grasp on what I was trying to say, and everyone's voice evolves too, right? Yeah, so yeah. I want it to be where um, I'd like to be inimitable, mm-hmm. right? I don't want them to, like I don't want to be able to to type into there like do something in the style of JPB Gerald, and then they actually sound like me. Yeah. Right. First of all, there's not enough stuff out there for them to do that now. Like, but a couple more books, they'll probably be able to. Right. Like, they'll go find it online and they'll be like, oh, like that. But it'll be funny to me um, when that happens because I'm going to be curious as to how much it actually sounds like me or if it's it's obviously going to be a goofy facsimile. Right. Have you tried it yet? No, I did try it once. It didn't show. They don't know who I. It doesn't know who I am yet because I don't have enough stuff out there. Right. But like, you know, I've got a couple more books. You know, I got. I will have been in seven chapter books by next year and you know i will have had three of my own books within a couple of years and so like that's most that's more than most people ever do in terms of the words on the uh, words so like that are published so there should be enough at that point right um and so i'm curious in like 2026 you know if there'll be enough about presumably the tools be more advanced by that point right but anyway the point being you know i want people but like another part of the problem is that like you can ask it to do things in like African American English, but it doesn't really understand what African American English is. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It thinks yeah. like it basically thinks we sound like slaves. Right. Mm-hmm. Like if you put it in there, like it's like it's, I'm not going to do it, but like it just it sounds like it's just everything's just misspelled. I'm not yeah. saying you can't spell yeah. things differently, but like all it does is turn like th into d. Like it does sometimes like, sound there like that. Rules, but it doesn't. Right. Understand it's like well, there's no rules for them. Yeah. Uh, and I'm just like, we just have different rules. That's the point, yeah. you know? Yeah. And and I, I get conflicted about this, too, because, like, you know, it would, because most of the time I talk in, I guess, something close to standardized English, right? Mm-hmm. It would be a challenge for me to write in African-American English all the time, right? Mm-hmm. I can do it sometimes. Like, what I tend to do is I talk like, I talk, I just try to sound like I talk, which is mostly standard, but occasionally with flourishes of different groups, yeah. right? And, you know, because, like, I had someone who did, who was trying to diss my style, saying, you know, well, why, why don't you write in African American English? And I'm like, that's a, that's not a racist thing to say at all. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I said, like, 
you know, frankly, that's not the, the, the version of English I am most comfortable using all the time. Not really because of like stigma, but just because of what I have spent my time doing. Yeah. You know, and, you know, but similarly, like there's, you can see it, there's little words I use here and there that are going yeah. to be like this itself, right? Like that would be something that would show up in, in these, in, in different communities and, you know, to different people, it would be what I did find interesting though was when I was living in Korea, I had this weird thing going on where they, they, I was told I had to teach the teachers English. They all spoke English, though. So we would just sit in this room and have a conversation, right? And it felt weird because they all knew English fine, right? But we had a conversation, so whatever. Yeah. And then at one point towards the end of my tenure, this is like 2009, um, the one of the teachers, the young one, printed out the lyrics to Empire State of Mind, you know, the Jay-Z song. Yeah, yeah. And he said, he said, can you explain what these things mean to me? And I was like, <laughs> right. I was going through all the references. I was going through all the slang and stuff. Not that everything African-American is slang, but there was obviously slang. In yeah, there. yeah. One of the things, I wrote this in my book that, like, um, I don't know if it's true anymore, but when I wrote the book, which was mostly in 2021, like, if I searched you know, African-American English or something like that, it would, like, the first response was, like, do you mean slang? And I'm just like, it's not, it's not what I mean. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, if we could just get rid of that word, that would be great. <laughs> yeah, it's not, and, like, the word slang is fine, but, but, yeah. but it's just not that it's only associated with, with us. Yeah. You know, um, region, which you, you could say regional dialect for certain things, that's fine. Yeah. Depending yeah. on what you're talking about. Like, African-American isn't necessarily regional, but, I mean, you get what I'm saying. Um, but I don't really know because like there's still this strain of not political, but sort of personal conservatism in academia, right? Mm-hmm. And in, in just education to some extent where people say, if I don't teach them, and I don't just mean the rules, mm-hmm. but grade them. And I don't even just mean like grammar, which like I can understand. You know, saying like, look, you, you, people are going to care about grammar or whatever, right? Yeah. I just mean that sort of tone of writing that's just mm-hmm. stripped of humanity. Yeah, so yeah. So one of the sense. one of the worries I do have about like allowing them to use it, which is not their problem, so I wouldn't, you know, not do it on this um, uh, for this reason, is that it's just reinforcing then, you know, standardized English because um, there'll be more and more of it. But um, I think. You know, I, I'm thinking about them now and the standards they have to meet now, and that's a solution. But there also needs to be like top-down structural changes that, you know, you know, that we can be more accepting of other voices in academia. Because part of our marking criteria for marking is that, you know, they get more marks if their grammar is more complex. And I thought, I'm like, I mean, I guess I kind of get that. That's more complex, mean easier to understand. Not really. I look up journal articles now, and some journals will have their abstract, and then they will have a plain English abstract, like two of them. And I'm like, why not just have the plain English one? More people can understand it. Yeah. Um because even abstracts are a genre, yeah. a genre of like, you know, inscrutable summary, basically. That's what it basically means. Yeah. Right. Um, and because like sometimes I'll just read the abstract. I'm like, all right, I don't need to read this article. Because um, like the, I, I'm not, I'm not going to fall asleep, especially if it's yeah. nighttime. I'm going to fall asleep reading this article. It's a seven page article. I'm going to fall asleep before it's over. One of the other things, because in that article, the chapter, I mentioned what you just said about the complexity stuff. Right. Because mm-hmm. I was doing these oral tests for people, which I didn't name in the book because I didn't want to get in trouble, but they're called the best plus test. Uh-huh. I don't really care. They're not going to sue me <laughs> for this. They're not listening. But um, best is an acronym for something. Yeah. Um, so anyway, 
but they were developed by the Center for Applied Linguistics, which is like a big center mm-hmm. in the United States, right? Um, yeah. These tests, now, some of, the things, some of these things about the tests were because, like, there's not a whole lot of money in these language places, and so, like, the test was on, like, a, a CD still, like, like a CD-ROM <laughs> that I was putting <laughs> into the laptop. And I was like, okay, right? That, that's not their, that's just, you know, the system being slow and archaic. But I was going to say you're aging yourself, but like, that's just the tech that, that they have. No, it was, it was, this is like, I'm saying, this was like 2013 to 16. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. So that's what I'm saying. Like, I'm yeah. not, I didn't, my career didn't start to 2008. So, you know, um, so, so this is after Korea and, and that Jay-Z thing I just told you about. So anyway, um, these questions, you have to be certified in, in, in these tests to give mm-hmm. them technically. Um, and, in order to be best plus certified, you had to spend a whole day at their like training center. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting that like a crappy summer job I had where I had a 90 minute commute every day, including the Staten Island ferry, although that was the best part of the commute because it was like mm-hmm. you get to go past the Statue of Liberty every morning. Yeah. And in the summer it's hot, so it's nice in the morning to be on the water. Focus, Justin. So the point <laughs> is that job paid for us to get the training. Because they wanted all the students who were like summer exchange students to be tra- uh, evaluated according to this test, right? Mm-hmm. So they had to pay for us to get the training. And then the training was one of the reasons that I was able to get the next job because they were using that test also. So mm-hmm. worked out for me. But anyway, in this training, they were basically telling us like, here is what everything was, every answer was one to three. You get 1.2, 0.3, point, right? Mm-hmm. And, or, sorry, zero, one, two, or three, right? And so it's a whole bunch of oral questions. And they were asking, they were showing demonstrations and saying, so what was that? Was that a zero? Was that a one? Was that a two? Was that a three? Right? And we went through this for all day. And um, there were three criteria, which I mentioned in the talk, but to go over people listening, right? One was, did they understand you? I think that one's pretty good. That's a pretty good criteria, whether or not they understand you, because they're telling you what to say. You're not saying anything that could be misunderstood, right? So, mm-hmm. like, yeah, they should probably understand what you're saying. That's probably a good idea. Um, the second one was, can you understand them? And the third one was complexity. Yeah. Right? I struggled with both of the last two for different reasons. And one of them I didn't figure out until, again, after the fact. But, like, with mm-hmm. the whole complexity thing was always bad to me because some of the questions were yes or no questions. Mm-hmm. And if you answered yeah. no... You were not supposed to give them the full marks, right? Yeah. Yeah. But I'm like, that's a complete sentence. Yeah. And the question's like, did you drive here today was one of the questions. First of all, we lived in New York, so they all said no. <laughs> <laughs> but like, uh, you so It's know. like pragmatically appropriate too, because you live in New York, you know why, then I have to explain why, it's not a surprise. That's right. like, that's being, you know, um Right, and they didn't, want me to coach, they didn't want me to coach the people, Right. To, before the test, but eventually I started before the test being like, look, yeah. some of these questions, they want you to be complex, and if you want to dwell on the test, just babble, <laughs> right? Because that's really, that's what they wanted them to do, was just babble. I don't know, yeah. so that they started saying things like, no, I took the six train and transferred to the seven train, and it's just like, fine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it wasn't being recorded or anything. And then, did that? Did I understand them? The thing is, because I had been teaching for in 2013, I've been teaching for five years, and by 2016, I've been teaching for eight years. Like, mm-hmm. I understand pretty much everybody because yeah. I have learned all the different accents, and you know, yeah. I I get what you're trying to say, and and you know, I can fill in the gaps and and so forth. 
But then I realized, and I said this in the chapter and in the talk, and I say this a lot, is that they didn't want to know what I could understand, or they thought I was a standard white person, I guess, because mm-hmm. uh, that's probably who gives the most of the tests. And yeah. they're just like, did either that's you as a standard person, or will the standard person out there understand them without having to take like one infinitesimally small extra bit of patience to understand what they're trying to say? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and again, it was only zero, one, two, or three. So I was just like, right. But then I got to the point where everybody was getting really high scores and then they asked me questions like, why is everybody getting high scores? I'm like, there's nothing wrong with these people. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the thing I find as well. Like people are worried about things being too easy for them, I guess. So when I, you know, my idea is to bring in AI and let them use language tools and that sort of thing. Uh, for one thing, one of the big departures I have with, um, some other people on this is that because I, Coming from linguistics, writing is what it is. Like writing has always been technology. That's just what it is. And and now the technology is advanced and it can do a lot of the grunt work for you. So our uh, marking criteria is benchmarked against IELTS. Do you know uh, IELTS? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, mean, yeah, I, I think to- to- TOEFL, I think, is the equivalent, yeah. I guess. Um, but, you know, so when they do IELTS and writing, they have to do an exam conditions and it has to be, you know, so writing proficiency is just from your brain and I'm like how often do people write now with just writing from their brain with no digital support whatsoever there's all this talk about authentic assessment that's not authentic writing that's not how people write so you know that's the problem then it's IELTS it's a system it's not you know the students yeah how often like I took the GRE to get into grad school to my doctoral program. They're removing this from a, because I went to a public school, they couldn't get away from having that. They did want to go away during the pandemic and I think it hasn't come back, but, um, it's like they had rules and they were, and they, and, and the director of the program was like, look, we just want you to get it above this score. And that was like, oh, that's easy. Um, so I go and I'm taking this test. And it's very, you know, don't cheat. And I'm like, well, what am I cheat for? Like, this is, <laughs> like, you know who? Everybody's taking different tests. It's just a test center, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's like testing me on this and that. And I'm just like, am I going to have to use this? Right? Mm-hmm. That's one thing. I mean, I understand, like, I can see how places are like, well, I don't know how to evaluate everybody against each other because they X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, well, maybe you don't need to do that. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like you have, you have created your own problem and industry. Yeah. Obviously. That's really yeah. important to be created in industry. Because yeah. if you remove the test, then all the people who do who work on the test don't have jobs. And it's like, well, yeah. maybe it's something else. Um, but this like, is what I, I thought. About, yeah. So it's what I thought when ChatGPT first exploded, like in November, December, I was come across it immediately. And, you know, as a teacher, my immediate reaction was, oh, no, uh-oh, uh-oh, what are we going to do? But then within a day, I was like, you know what, I think this is going to improve education because I can't just say to my students, do an essay for the sake of doing language because, you know, that, of course that's boring. They don't want to do that. They're not motivated to do that. They will cheat to do that because they don't see the worth in it. Now I'm like, this is why we want you to write essays. You know, I, what are your ideas? You want to express your ideas and, and develop your argumentation. Like, I value your ideas. Tell them to me and I'll tell you how to express them. And that's much better than just write some stuff down so I can see your language. I, I think that that's it. I, I, you know, places are going to take their own lesson from this, and they already are, although some are adapting, and, because now it's like, how to use AI in the classroom? Like, I'm seeing presentations on that now, right? So, like, you know, they, they pivoted quickly. Um, <laughs> and I think, first of all, they all, all the stats about it's going to replace this many jobs. First of all, that's not what, what the actual studies say. The studies say yeah. it's going to affect 
that many jobs. And I'm like, okay, so it's like the internet, right? Because people, I'm sure, when the internet came around, was like, well, there's going to be no jobs. It's like, no, they just want to use the internet now. Right? <laughs> All the jobs that were like based on fax and snail mail, it's like, well, now they use email. You still got a job. The people who refused to adapt to email, they didn't have jobs. But like, mm-hmm. pretty much everybody learned how to use email eventually. Um, so not everybody, but, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, so the point is, uh, you know, it's how, how can they use, cause like for my job, and this is not a secret if anyone who works with me is listening, and I don't think that they are, but whatever, is that like, you know, over the summer, I was creating a lot of content for our curriculum. We do professional development programs for, um, uh, housing developers of color, right? Mm-hmm. And like, I don't really know real estate. I mean, I'm learning it because that's my job, but my job is the curriculum, right? And I do it like my job is pedagogy, right? Mm-hmm. And so my son had an intern this summer. And so it was just me and her going back and forth. Only, we only was in the office in New York because we're all over the country and nobody seems to come to the New York office. It was just me and her hanging out doing stuff. And we were creating a bunch of things and we had to make like, we were creating some tests because there, there weren't any tests and they're not hard. And I don't care if the test is hard. It's just supposed to measure certain things. Right. Mm-hmm. And then we said, oh, we realized that the, these classes are going to be taught by different people in different parts of the country. We don't know exactly. I'm not going to be able, I can't monitor all of the teachers across the country at the same time. There's only one person in the education department and it's me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so like, I can't monitor all the teachers across the country. Um, but, but, uh, I think that, um, we need to make sure that the answers for the quizzes are covered in the written material so that mm-hmm. if just consume it. They can not, not like literally here's the answer, but like figure yeah. it out. Right. Yeah. So then we had to write like, um, basically like a, 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 you know, a story that would, you know, like a, like a case study basically, but like a fake mm-hmm. case study, right. That yeah. would include the answers, but like, we, we we used the robots to help us because we're just like, I was trying to make this like generic sounding story myself. And I'm just like, I'm not going to do this. This is going to take me 10 years and it's not. Yeah. Gonna right. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how to write like nonsense. Like, yeah. fluff. like I can't it's, it's so hard for me to write fluff. You yeah. Know? Um, and it's the same way because now I don't depend on like getting into conferences and stuff to, to, for my career. I just write my abstracts the way I want to, and if they like it, great, and if they don't like it, oh well. Um, And anyway, so I used it for that, and then we had to create discussion, and I'm trying to make discussion questions, like, what did, and I'm like, you know what, you do it. And (laughs) they made us so many questions that we had to get rid of some, because I'm just like, because that's the nonsense, like, you want to, here, you want to make a test? Like, you first of all, if you give them the data, because the thing is, they don't always have the right answers, right? Yeah. Uh, but if you give them the numbers and say, turn this into a question, there you go. You, yeah. you know, that's the stuff that we don't need to be spending all of our time doing. Yeah. Because uh, that's just a waste of time. I think what you said is very true, is that, like, if we are able to spend our time, you know, actually thinking, yeah. you know, so that's what I want to do. Like uh, the students at my level have different, um, ish, you know, things about vocabulary, different um, uh, fields they need to use vocab, uh, learn vocabulary from, different um, grammatical things they want to le- need to learn. Um, and if I do, you know, it, it needs to be so individualized. My classes are too big for that. So 
instead of, you know, me going and doing grammar classes, I can be like, well, you know, the digital language tools can help you fix that. And then we can spend more time doing the stuff that I think is more important for master students, which is criticality and critical thinking and evaluating things. And I've done a lot more of that in the uh, classes. I think it's been really useful. And um, I think this is also some of the uh, worries people have, you know, we're making it too easy for them. And a part of the solution that has been proposed is to maybe in our marking guys because we have kind of half the marks is about structure and content and half the marks is from language maybe we should weight them more towards content now that you know the computers are doing the language part or can do the language part and at first I thought that was a good idea but then I thought then we're just making it artificially harder like our our courses exist to to make sure the students will be successful they're ready to start their master's degree when they get into the university and that's what they're basically trying to prove while they're here and like if they you know if they hand in an essay which has had help digital help with their language you know the ideas are still theirs I make sure I talk to them before they hand in their essays and if they can explain it their ideas what they've read then what comes in I'm happy to mark it at face value um but I think yeah people are like oh you know then they can pass the course too easily I'm like so that's that's great for them <laughs> that, that's that's wonderful you know they can they, they've got a barrier that they've gotten rid of why are we making barriers just so we can have something to teach basically you know, yeah exactly when I um I taught this summer, and I teach most summers, like, online, just because I like teaching, right? And I can see how people are, like, students are treated by a lot of professors, like, um, and a lot of programs, you know, because, like, I, I, you know, if someone was late with an assignment, I would just email them, like, hey, you know, something going on or whatever, right? Because, I, I mean, they, just, they do have to do it, but like, I would ask a question first. And they pretty much would always say, hey, I got busy, I'm sorry, I'll get done by the end of the day. I'm sorry, Professor Arnon. I was like, yeah, you apologize. I mean, you should tell me, but, like, you don't apologize, right? Yeah. Um, and, and like, everybody got good grades in the class. The only p- points I took off were, like, if, if something genuinely didn't make sense, yeah. right, I would take a point off. And it wasn't, like, a language thing. It's just like, what do you mean? Or if, like, they just didn't do something and just didn't tell me. And like yeah. it was a short class, you can't really get that far behind. It, it was like a five week class. It, I, I, I had control over it. It had to be done by the time the grades had to be in. And, and yeah. I wasn't really thinking about that. And I told them that. Yeah. Um, but like, yeah, everybody got good scores because like I think there's some people who are worried about, you know, their job security and so forth. And so they, you know, I think it's just like, oh, they're hard. And it's just like, I, I want the class to be intellectually challenging, but I don't yeah. need to be, you know, stressed about the work. Frankly, I'd rather <laughs> you have less work for some reason. You know, in a lot, especially in professional development, that class wasn't, but like the work that I do in my day job that I'm mm-hmm. not doing right now, but whatever, um, <laughs> which I have to go back in a second, <laughs> is uh, there's an obsession with this sort of whip cracking, yeah. you know, let's just stack the work on top of the stack because life is yeah. hard. I'm like, it is, yeah, but like. I don't know. I, like I've been me, developing developing modules at the moment and like setting assessments for them. And I was like a five minute presentation because in five minutes I can see whether they can structure what they need to do, how they speak. You know, I can I get enough from that for them. And then looking at the kind of I can't remember what it's called, but like the, the guidelines for us to set and some of the feedback I got from someone higher up wherever has been like, is that is that enough? Like five minutes? And I'm like why are you making them do more work just for the sake of them doing work? Because they're doing masters. Like, I just need enough to be able to assess whether they can do it. And that's enough. I don't need a 10-minute presentation just because they need to do more work. Yeah, one of the things that changed in my job, and I do have to go in a second, is that in the past we had, we were doing a presentation, as, but it was the only assessment, in which case it wasn't enough. Yeah. Right? Um, 
what I've done is I've created a bunch of smaller things to be assessed so that when they get to the presentation, they're all tied together. And then yeah. the presentation is like 15 to 20 minutes. And because they yeah, might also do essays and, and, right, exactly, right? and stuff like that. Yeah, you know, yeah. They weren't doing any of that. So like, you know, um, and, and, the, and the presentation is a culmination yeah. of stuff. Yeah. Right. Um, and, but there's so many people who are treated poorly in class that they all, you know, they think that the only way to, is this sort of like army, you know, like, uh, just gonna have to sweat to get through it. And I'm just like, look, man, I, and I, I don't think that I, like, people will look at me and say, oh, well, he's just smart or whatever. So he can't be someone who has, you know, I don't listen to what he says. It was too easy for him because whatever. And I'm, I'm not, I, I think I'm an intelligent person and I don't like to use his words, but I'm not, I, I assume everybody is pretty capable, right? Yeah. What I mean is, like, when, when I say to people, you know, I ask people, how long did it take when I started the program? I said, how long did it take you to do your work every week? Because I, mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know how much work there is, right? Yeah. And they said, well, you know, usually aside from the classes themselves, which I knew how long those were, like they said, it would take me one weekend night and one entire weekend day. And I was like, oh, wow, that's yeah. a lot, right? Yeah. And so then when I told my wife, I was like, so I was gonna, I mean, we didn't have a dog or a child yet. So I was like, all right, I guess I'm just going to do that. So I did a lot of my writing on Saturday afternoons. But then, like, did I finish, like, halfway through the semester? I had done all the work. So <laughs> just like, oh, okay. And it's not that it was easy. It's just, like, obviously I have a hyper-focus thing. If I'm not focused, I'm getting nothing done. And I had to sort of push myself to be in hyper-focus mode. And, I, and that's a brain thing, whatever. But it's not a yeah. capability thing. Because sometimes hyper-focus is bad. It means, like, you know, I, I can't stop. But yeah, the point is, if you – just extra work is not helpful. Yeah, yeah. No, literally can't remember but so many things at the same time. Yeah. Like, and then our students have issue. We keep talking about, you know, the situation of international students. They come here, they pay so many fees, they've got the cost of living crisis, they have to work as well, so they're balancing their work lives in a foreign country with their school works, and they're so overloaded. Yeah, that's what, the first thing I learned in Korea before I knew anything really about pedagogy, because I hadn't even studied, I got like a week of training, but it was mostly just making lesson plans, right? Yeah. And like... um you know, I didn't know anything about teaching, really. Mm-hmm. And the first year, I, I really didn't know what I was doing. I mean, I, I enjoyed myself, but I, I, I didn't know what I was doing. I stayed for a second year because it was during the recession. I was like, I'm not going back over there. But, like, <laughs> uh, what I learned very quickly is those students were so overworked. They were in school six days a week, and when they left school, they would go to cram school and another. Like, these kids were in, in school, in some version of school, from, like, 8 to, like, 11. Wow. Right? Something like that. Yeah. Um, Depending on you know, the parents' amount of money or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, why would I give them more work to do? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right? It's just like, so I, I didn't want it to be where it didn't matter because people yeah. sometimes will take it the wrong way, be like, I'm being a cool teacher and I won't, you won't learn anything. And I'm like, all right, relax. No, what I made is I, I gave them a project yeah. in which they could take an interest yeah. and really allow their brains to work and be creative. Yeah. You know, quality, and, quality, not quantity. Right. And, you know, um, they really got into that project. Uh, the, the project was they had to make up a country, right? And they were talking about all the, the laws in the country okay. and the flag and everything, right? And they yeah. had really, and then there was a competition because, like, sometimes they really wanted to come in their high school. I don't know. They wanted to do something. So, and then there was a, a group that won because it was like a trivia thing at the end or something like that. So, yeah. Um, but anyway, I did that, and, you know, it was really, they really, really got into it, and they really looked forward to it. And so I learned that 
And then when I came back to the States, again, I still didn't really know what I was doing teaching-wise, and I have since figured out the pedagogy stuff. But, like, this whole, like, just more and more and more, like, there is a limit. And I tell yeah. you, as someone who has been to, like, 20, I, I've graduated from, like, 22nd grade, okay? Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> like, you can't have been through more classes than me. And I'm telling you, just piling extra work on people without there being a reason for it. And this is why I want to take away some of that, like, fiddly stuff to do, like, with the writing stuff, but then to take that away, they can spend their time on, like, much more, you know, like, engaging things for them to do. And it's not like they don't want to just rely on that as a crutch. I'm just doing, I've been doing some, working with some data this morning, which I got on a survey way back at the start of the year before ChatGPT was really known with the students. And this was just about other digital language tools, like Grammarly, um, machine translation and Quillbot, like paraphrasing tools. I wanted to find out how much they use them, how critical they are of them, um, you know, how helpful they think they are. And I had one question, which was, you know, so you use, if you use this tool, does it just fix your problems or like uh, your language um, or does it uh, fix and also help you learn? And overwhelm, I've only just done the data today and overwhelmingly like 80% of each of the tools are all very similar was like, they also help me learn. I'm like, all the students are using these. Why are they not in our classes? Why are we not teaching them how to use them, how to use them well? And, but otherwise, but we just like ban them instead. You can't use that because then you're not doing language. And the kiss you are, that's how, that's how people write. That's how we language now. Yeah. I mean, the problem is for a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of teachers, including professors, and for a lot of managers also, right, in, in, in workplace, because I'm, I'm on the workplace side of education, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of, quote, unquote, learning is regurgitation. Yeah. Right? And if you don't regurgitate correctly, you're seen as not knowing stuff. Obviously, there's certain things you have to learn and memory. Mm-hmm. You just certain things you're just going to have to. But, like, you're going to learn it by doing it over time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, to me, for example, one of the things we're working on is they have to learn how to do financial projections. And that's, like, a really technical skill, right? Mm-hmm. But the skill isn't putting the numbers in the spreadsheet because mm-hmm. every, like, you you can get that off. You just buy it off the Internet. And I don't mean that. It's not cheating. It's you're just allowed to buy the system with the formulas already set up, right? Mm-hmm. You don't have to memorize the formula, but you do have to explain why you would use a certain formula. Mm-hmm. And that is really what I want people to take away. So, Kelly, I have to go to my job. Okay. Yep. Um, well, I'm not going anywhere from my chair, but um, it was <laughs> wonderful to have this conversation with you. I will go back to the intro I recorded and edit in a Davis. Um, <laughs> you can hear me okay. say it wrong first, and I'm going to have a little clip where it's like, actually. Um, and uh, yeah, it's a good conversation. Uh, not only yeah. like, like October, but um, so, yeah, thanks for talking to